Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Okay, so um, here we are in the um, fifth talk in this sequence on uh, the factors of enlightenment. Um, this is tonight we'll be getting to the fourth of the seven. First, I did an, an overview and then uh, started going through the sequence. For those who haven't been here for the whole series, the first factor of enlightenment or awakening <clears throat> is mindfulness, being present for your experience, connecting with the present moment. Uh, then we went to um, the second factor is investigation, where you're bringing a curiosity, an interest that is looking deeply at experience, not just superficially, but really exploring and uh, connecting in a very direct way. What is going on here? Um, and in that investigation, um, seeing for yourself the truth of impermanence, seeing for yourself how holding on to changing experience is suffering, or seeing for yourself that you are this mind-body process uh, that we usually call self. Just looking carefully and interested in an interested way. The third factor, which we talked about last week, is energy. Energy which comes from effort, the effort to really put your whole heart into the experience, and it begets a kind of energy, just like when you go to the gym and you're, you're pumping iron, you can pump mindfulness and actually develop some energy. This factor tonight, joy, is again a natural aspect of developing these others. Because with mindfulness and interest and an energetic interest, it increases and strengthens into this factor of joy sometimes called rapture, um, sometimes called bliss. And it is defined as a keen interest in experience. You know, when you're, you're completely engrossed in something, there's a kind of fullness there. When you're say, going down a slope on a snowboard. You know, for some people, that's fun. For, for those of us who is just kind of falling one after another, it might not be as joyful. But for those who know how to do it, wow, what a great feeling. Or getting on a bicycle, or birding, or whatever you're, you're doing. It's like when you're really fully there, and you're so engrossed, enthralled, 
in the experience, there's a quality of joy. With, with this um, sequence, as I said at the beginning, there's, there is a sequential development that can naturally happen. And also, there is a balancing, a way to see these factors as factors of balancing. So mindfulness is the middle balancing factor. And then there's three arousing factors, investigation, energy, and joy. And then three uh, calming or stilling factors, which we'll get to in the next few weeks, uh, calm, concentration, and equanimity. And so the, the arousing needs to be balanced with the accommodative, but they actually can d- help develop those calming factors as well. So one thing to keep in mind, which is, I just want to underscore, that the meditative process actually can lead to joy. Not only can lead to joy, but uh, that is a prerequisite for a true opening of the heart and the mind to liberation. A lot of times when people think about meditation, they they think, oh, I've got to do my meditation practice. Like putting in your time, okay, I'll be a good boy, I'll be a good girl, I'll do my homework, and I'll sit there and just kind of see my mind is everywhere, and it's good for me. Like medicine is good for you. Well, certainly it's not like you are necessarily going to say, oh boy, I can't wait to to get to my cushion every time. But I really want to plant the seed the possibility, if it's not there already, and I'm sure for many people it is, that this is um, this is a process that opens us up to life, not just accepting the unpleasant stuff, but that it's both healthy, skillful, and uh, important to see how this brings a real brightness and um, aliveness to your experience. And as you practice it in the meditation, the more you, the more you can open up to that possibility without grasping it, but the more you just get glimpses of how, how enjoyable it is to not have any email or phone or responsibilities or anything that you've got to answer to anybody, that it can actually be connecting you with a place inside, the more you um, see how, how delicious this can be, what this has to offer. You can't go to the cushion saying, okay, I'm going to have a joyful experience if it kills me. You know? Or, oh, is it there yet? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not do- I must be doing something wrong because it's not joyful. So there's a quality of 
really just allowing, inviting the heart to be at ease and recognizing those moments when it is. Recognizing those moments when you're really interested in what's going on. For most, for most people, um, this particularly is more available when you do um, an intensive kind of practice, where you say go to Spirit Rock, or you know go on a weekend retreat, or uh, you're in seclusion and you're kind of letting go of all the all the stuff that you accumulate. And it takes, as I've said a number of times here before, it takes some time to kind of detox from all the stimulation that we usually are taking on. But when you let go of that and there's stretches of mindfulness, that's when that quality of interest and keen interest is much more available. Um, So this is one of the reasons why Retreats are encouraged just so you kind of see for yourself that possibility. The thing is, once you touch it, it's not like you stay there or you're there every single time you meditate, but you are more familiar with that place of connection and and peace. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it can get quite strong, this experience of joy. I can remember on one of, one of the first times it, it happened to me, I was sitting a longer retreat, and uh, the concentration, it, it comes out of a concentrated mind. Um, but the concentration was there, and you just can get locked in to your experience. And there I was, just feeling the breath in and out at the, at the nostrils. And it was so complete. I remember having this thought, just like yesterday, the thought came to me, why, does, why would anybody need drugs? They have the breath. This is so fantastic. You know? And it was a function of that particular level of connection. Because when I, when I got to that place, I thought, oh, that's... Oh, this is cool. This is going to be how it is. I finally arrived, and when I sit, this is going to be how it is. And when I sit at home, I sit every day at home, you know, it's, it's not like I am completely enthralled with the breath to the point that to say, why would anybody need anything else for happiness? But in those moments of completion, of complete connection, there is tremendous joy that's available. Now, just notice the grasping mind. I want that. When am I going to get that? You've got to let go and know that both it's possible and that the, the heart and the mind can be trained and out of that concentrated, out of that investigative, energetic investigation and concentration, this happens. And when it happens, it fills the mind 
and the body with a real sense of lightness. Even sometimes a sense of light. Those, you know, those phrases, oh, my, my body was filled with light or my mind was filled with light. It literally just feels, feels light and can even be bright at times. Mm. And the body can go through a number of different sensations, lots of different sensations that are mm, unusual phenomena when there is rapture. And one thing to keep in mind is, even though these are unusual phenomena associated with rapture, sometimes they're not particularly pleasant. You might say, you know, whoa, what is going on here? And you kind of can feel like your skin is crawling or that you're going to, you know, burst or it just seems like it's too much. We haven't lost anybody yet. But there's something about just kind of getting used to these phenomena and relaxing into it. And it can be a kind of um, sign that the concentration is getting stronger. And then people come to an interview and, and say, oh, there's all these kind of weird sensations. And they hear, oh, that's just some rapture. They say, rapture? This doesn't feel like rapture. Yeah, it's a kind of rapture or a sign for some rapture. There are five types of rapture classically. Actually, I'll just, just in case I need to refer. One is um, what's called minor rapture or lesser rapture, <clears throat> which isn't bad, actually. There's pleasure. Sometimes there's goosebumps. Sometimes it's kind of like your hair. It, is, is kind of standing on end, and um, uh, there's a, a, there is this feeling of lightness that comes. And this first rapture, is, it comes when the hindrances, the classical hindrances of desire or attachment, aversion, sleepiness, restlessness, and doubt when they are all suppressed. Those are the big five that usually create a, a lot of complications for people. You know, you're sitting there and you're just feeling so sleepy, you know, having the nods, or you're feeling kind of antsy, or there's some doubt. When those hindrances are not arising, it's like there's no contraction in the mind, and the mind becomes very bright for a little while. You know those days you wake up and there's just nothing in the world that bothers you? Well, it's like that. And you, when there's nothing that's bothering you, you're feeling pretty good, usually. It's like that in a meditative level where there's no unpleasant mind state getting in the way, and this is the natural result. This is not something you have to manufacture outside. It's just that for a while, what usually obscures your natural joy is not obscuring it. 
That's an, in, an innate part of who you are. So this is the minor or lesser uh, rapture. Next is a momentary rapture, where it can come in strong flashes, like uh, you just kind of feel a surge of energy. It's like, mm, like that. I, you know, I've never had hot flashes, but it seems you know, something like, a, like a, a, a pleasant hot flash. You know, although it can also be kind of intense, like, whoa, like that. So just coming in moments and surges. Then the third rapture is called showering rapture, where you, um, it's like waves coming through you. Okay. Sometimes it can seem like a lot more than you can handle, but that's, it comes in these waves. And Part of, the, part of the art of practice is relaxing behind it and just letting the energy move through you. If the mind at all gets stuck in, uh-oh, what's going on, or this is too much, or I don't know if I can handle it, that, that thought contracts and then it can be a little bit frightening or overwhelming. But you're just kind of learning to become more familiar with it relax behind it, give it all the space it needs, and notice, don't get caught in the thoughts, just find a place of stillness right in the middle, and then you just are more used to opening up to more and more energy. This showering wave is coming through you. Then the the fourth is uh, uplifting rapture, where you literally feel like you're, you know, you're floating. And one, there, there are reports of, of something akin to levitation that can happen. Um, I know it, for myself, it can happen in walking, in walking practice when there's strong concentration and there's a lot of this rapture. It it's a very unusual sensation. The first time it happened to me, I kind of like said, whoa, we're not in Kansas anymore. This is a little bit different because your, your feet um, can be like, it's like sliding on, on a cushion of air. You, you know, like uh, uh, air hockey, you know, air hockey, and the, and the, and the puck is kind of floating on the air. Well, it can be like that, where you're putting your foot down, and it's just, it's just on this. It's so it's hard to describe, but it's like your your feet are just floating a little bit off the ground, and then they come down. It's it's amazing. And then the uh, the fifth is called pervading rapture, or all pervasive rapture where you're, it's not happening just in flashes, but you're, like every pore in your body, you're just kind of like filling very, with great brightness and um, feeling of real well-being. Mm-hmm. And you don't have, at times, any desire to get up or, you know, you're just, there's, there, you're, there's no discomfort. 
Um, and um, you know, it's, it's lovely. Now, with all of these states, there's a danger. You get a taste of it, and you say, yeah, I want that. Very cool. Guess what? It's very frustrating if you want a state to happen. And you're looking at somebody who knows very well the pain, saying, it was so cool yesterday. Where is it today? Come on. Oh, just a little rapture, you know. I've been a good guy, you know. I've practiced. Come on, just a little more. As soon as there's any kind of wanting, that in itself is a contraction of mind. And that prevents the openness for the process to just happen on its own. So watch out. Mm-hmm. The word piti, P-I-T-I, is this factor that's translated as joy or rapture. Mm-hmm. And it's also a factor of concentration, a, a factor, one of the, the five factors of jhana. Maybe you're familiar with that word jhana, J-H-A-N-A. And jhana are these strong absorption states that um, have different levels. There are four, four main jhanas, then there's some formless jhanas. But the, of the, each jhana has different uh, qualities that go into this very strong absorption state, where you're kind of in, you're in an altered state. And the first jhana has uh, one of the five factors is PT, is this rapture, along with um, a few others, one-pointedness and happiness and, and applied and sustained uh, thought. And so rapture is right in there, and it's, it's a kind of physical feeling as well, very physical. And you know that you're in a kind of altered state. The second jhana, this is just something to see about how joy works. The second jhana is um, you're letting go of, there's two of those factors that aren't present, the applied and sustained thought. And there's still plenty of, then joy and rapture become the predominant feeling. And then the third one, the rapture leaves and happiness takes over, which is not as intense as rapture, but it is a higher form of happiness. You know, like when you're really intensely joyful about something, and there, it can get almost too much, but then when there's a sense of real happiness and contentment, that it might not be as intense, but it's actually a more refined kind of happiness. And for the purposes of these jhanas, the third jhana, rapture is gone, and it's just more serene and happy. And then the fourth jhana, even the happiness goes, 
and what's left is equanimity, which is a higher, a, still a higher form of well-being than even happiness. This is just something to keep in mind. You know, when you say, you know, I want to go for the gusto. Well, it gets exhausting to be with the gusto for a long time. Oh, I just want to. I just want to feel content. I just want to feel uh, at ease and um, and. And, and happy, okay, and then I just want to have a deep sense of peace. In, these, in this kind of mind training, it's actually a higher level of well-being, that peace, than the coarseness of the intensity, of the, the happiness. Um, there's a few different supports for for this, for this joy. And then I want to take a look at how we can actually work with it in our own practice. Okay, so there are um, classically 11 ways to develop rapture in one's meditation practice and in one's life. One, remembering the virtues of the Buddha. Okay, just if the Buddha is an inspiring being, uh, there's something about that example. Oh, wow, it's really possible to have deep liberation. I'm sure not so different than, uh, than um, a devoutly Christian uh, 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 spiritual seekers who are so inspired by Jesus. We get inspired by exemplars of a free mind and a heart. Second, rejoicing or recollecting uh, the virtues of the Dharma, of the truth. You know, we, if you are, have been touched by the Dharma and you really are moved by it and inspired to do practice, meditation practice, just getting in touch with what has inspired you about the truth, about these teachings, or about the truth of life in itself. A third, rejoicing in the virtues of the Sangha, which means community. That is, there are people who've done this, these kinds of practices for over 2,500 years, who've really freed the mind and the heart. And again, can be inspired by, by them. Fourth recollection. This is something uh, that I think is really important to take in. Considering your own virtue. Now you might say, uh, "What if I'm not a saint? What then? You know, if I when I think about my virtue." Uh, I might fall short, or I've blown it, or I've just sent somebody an angry email, and uh, I better not try to reflect on my own virtue. Uh, and actually, what is being, what is suggested, is thinking of the times that you act really skillfully and wisely and kindly, and compassionately, 
You don't have to do that. But those, I mean, you don't have to be kind all the time, but sometimes you are. You don't have to be generous, but when you are, there's something really beautiful that's coming through you. And to reflect on that place in you that has real goodness that wants to be expressed can be a source of, of tremendous ease and delight and well-being. So if you're somebody who tends to incline towards guilt, you get zero extra credit for beating yourself up. And instead, the more you reflect on how good it feels when you do things in a wholesome way, the more you're inclined to do them, and also the greater the well-being inside. So remember, every time you do a kind act can be part of your storehouse of accessing well-being inside. Five, remembering, this is very similar, remembering your own generosity is another reflection to open the heart. Six, considering the virtue this has of the gods, of devas and brahmas, really considering the benevolence of life is how I, I interpret this one. Seven, reflecting on perfect peace, that it's possible to come to a very deep peace inside. That can make you happy. Eight, avoiding coarse people. Or another way, avoiding people who are not inclined towards joy. Mm. Or not or are filled with anger or lacking in kindness. Okay. And then the corollary to that, nine, being around people who are kind and joyful. It rubs off on us. Ten, reflecting on the discourses that are in the, uh, that are inspiring discourses of the Buddha. And then 11, inclining the mind. That's in all of these factors, inclining the mind is a common causative support. You just incline your mind towards well-being. That's different than grasping. That's different than saying, I want it. This is more kind of an invitation towards well-being. And if you're feeling a little stuck, or you're feeling very stuck, and you say, Joy, I'll just take not being miserable right now. Okay. Even that inclination towards not being miserable is going in the right direction. This is something to bear in mind, both in meditation and also in one's daily life. All you need to do is invite, in a way that is accessible to you, even the slightest movement in the direction of well-being. So for instance, if you're really 
mm, going through a hard time, even to think for a moment, oh, I'm going through a hard time. Let me be kind to myself. If nothing else, that's a movement in the direction of well-being. That inclines the mind more towards all of these wholesome qualities. So you don't want to leap to, oh, uh, you know, let me feel some rapture and bliss right now. It, it just won't be accessible. But if you just move towards, I'm open to opening the heart a bit, that's, that's good enough. With, with all of these seven factors, there's one, there are three common supports. One is inclining the mind. Another is avoiding people who, whose qualities are very different than the, this noble quality you're looking for. And the third is being around people who uh, embody these qualities. Okay, so now, how about if we just get real for a moment? So, first I want to ask, um, how many people consider joy as part of their spiritual practice? Hmm. Good. Okay. If your hand doesn't go up, uh, you're not alone. A lot of times, you can forget about this. This stuff can get very serious. There you are, meditating. I'm a meditator. I want to get enlightened. I want to be calm and serene. Shut up in there. It's still not quiet. It can be very serious. And in fact, sometimes we can get so serious that we lose our joy. As I, I've said here before, I think I've mentioned it here a few times, you know, I teach all of this stuff about joy, awakening joy, and wrote a book about it. And I, the reason why I was so motivated was because I lost my joy for a while. I got so serious about practice. Um, and if your meditation practice or your spiritual practice is getting really serious, dead serious, then um, you might consider what you really need is to brighten it up, lighten up, and then brighten up. Here's a, a passage that uh, I've read here before that just I want to read again. It's, it just fits so perfectly. Sometime, this is from Ajahn Sumedho, a very well-respected, one of the most respected uh, monastics uh, alive. He says, sometimes in Buddhism, particularly Theravadan Buddhism, where uh, these teachings of the elders that this practice comes from, sometimes in Theravadan Buddhism, one gets the impression that you shouldn't enjoy beauty. If you see a beautiful flower, you should contemplate its decay. 
Or if you see a beautiful woman, you should contemplate her as a rotting corpse. This has a certain value on one level, but it's not a fixed position to take. It's not that we should just feel compelled to reject beauty and dwell on its impermanence and on how it changes to being not so beautiful and then downright repulsive. That is a good reflection on impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, and selfless nature of reality. But it can leave the impression that beauty is only to be reflected on in terms of these three characteristics rather than in terms of the experience of beauty. People who can't see the beauty of the good or the true are really bitter and mean. They live in an ugly realm where there's no rejoicing in beauty and goodness and truth. But once you have true insight, then you find you enjoy delight in the beauty and the goodness of things. Because truth, beauty, and goodness delight us. In them we find joy. So in your own practice, if you find sometimes it's getting a little bit lifeless, you might reflect on things that really uplift you, that inspire you, whether it's the goodness of life, whether it's all the blessings in your life, whether it's your own kind heart or sincere heart, or the goodness of people around you, or it's nourishing your spirit in a way that brings you, makes you come alive instead of thinking, oh, it's all about sitting still and, and just gritting your teeth and, and bearing it. You know, it might mean being active and going out in nature and, and opening your heart and saying yes to life. Whatever way helps you say yes to life. Because all of these wholesome states, joy and all of these factors, all of the states of well-being have to do with an expansion as opposed to a contraction. Those are all the states of suffering. There's a contraction in the mind, in the body, in the heart. And all the states of well-being are an opening, an expansion. So um, I like what I'm feeling like doing is having a short um, little time for you to reflect and connect. We can come back as a group. I'd like you first to just reflect. Uh, go inside. And um, just ask yourself, um, how do I cultivate joy in my life? It can be joy or well-being. How do I cultivate maybe in my meditation practice? How do I cultivate it in my daily practice, my daily life? What's the place of joy in my life? And if you find that maybe you're not cultivating it so much, then you might ask, how could I? What would support that? 
Okay? And now what I'd like you to do is um, just turn to uh, one or two people. It can be done either in a pair or a triad if you'd like. And uh, just share with each other for, um, oh, about five minutes or so. We'll come back. Uh, how you either do or could uh, bring joy into your, into your meditation practice or your life practice. Just uh, do that right now so you hear your own wisdom.
Okay, just another minute or so and we'll end. start finishing up and thank you partners I wish I you'd have more time to do it seems like there's a lot of energy in the room uh, um, if you feel at all uplifted from those last few minutes raise your hand it was really interesting, and you now you might have felt really bummed out that you know I, no, I didn't, I didn't get it. You know that's wherever you are is okay. But what what I was noticing is just as people were speaking to each other about joy, bringing it into your life. It's like you you bring it out of each other. That's that's the thing about. Being with like-minded friends or who value a particular quality, this is one way you can see inclining your mind. You just incline your mind towards that topic, and boom! Wow, the energy. There were smiles like all all over the room. It was really cool to see. So hang out with people that like joy. Uh, <laughs> And again, the tricky thing is you can't expect to or put pressure on yourself to feel joyful all the time. In fact, you know, sometimes life is pretty heavy. It's the first noble truth. And, and it, these days, just reading the newspapers or reading, sorry to even bring in the world in here, you know, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, what is going on? That is all the more reason to stay connected to a place of well-being inside. Otherwise, it just gets too overwhelming. So this is not to live in denial. It's really to allow yourself to hold all the, the challenges that are going on in the world or, you know in this country or in this city or wherever you're in your neighborhood, wherever it is, or in your, in your own heart, to be held in a bigger context. Not to forget to incline towards well-being. This is both a factor of awakening, real enlightenment, and also a, a, a deeper, a, not a deeper, a, a consistent um, saying yes to life, opening to life, just as we go through it. So with this, this week, it might be something to keep in mind. You may, maybe you got in touch with things that supported your own 
well-being or that you could start to do. Uh, and uh, just incline the mind that way and uh, your heart will follow. So let's uh, close with a, a short loving kindness and feel the, the goodness of being in like-minded friendship. Talking about a topic like this, just breathe in kind energy and send it to yourself. May I be happy. May I open to all the goodness and love inside and share it well. And then to extend that to everyone here and all beings in all directions, may all find real happiness. May all feel their goodness and share their love well. May all awaken to their true nature. And may our coming here together be for the benefit of all beings everywhere. May all beings be happy. Thank you very much. Have a great week. Share your joy.